Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Intel Hub News Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com, the network's website, theintelhubnewsnetwork.com. And um, <clears throat> we have a great show lined up for you here tonight. Um, we have... Um, we're going to continue talking about symbolism on the show this evening. We went into symbolism pretty extensively on the last show, and we covered various forms of symbolism, including solar symbolism and astrotheological symbolism. We also looked at life force symbolism last week and uh, how these forms of symbolism get into the subconscious mind and how they are used to subvert consciousness, to essentially exercise a form of mind control over people, to reach into the subconscious mind, to manipulate at that level, and to prey upon the person because symbols, again, often fulfill needs that the person who's using them understands that the person they're using them against actually lacks in their own life. So that's what we looked at last week, and we're going to continue to do that this week with uh, a pretty ambitious um, uh, array of symbols. I don't know if I'll get through them all, but uh, we're going to take a look further into astrotheological symbolism. We're going to look at the symbolism of the fasces, the symbolism of the pentagram or the five-pointed star, the symbolism of the pine cone, and the symbolism of the all-seeing eye. So we will break down... Uh, plethora of symbols here on the show tonight, and we'll be uh, probably uh, be um, carrying this over into a second uh, show with uh, these symbols. Hopefully we can get through most of them, though. I want to uh, give the call-in numbers for the show, and then I have a couple of event announcements for events coming up in the Philly area, and um, after we do that, then we can jump right into the topic. So the call-in numbers for this show... 
724-444-7444. Once again, call in number 724-444-7444. And the call ID number, which we, you will be prompted for when you call in that number, is 83515. You could also call the Blog Talk call-in line, which is 646-727-3387. Once again, if you're listening on Blog Talk, you can call into 646-727-3387. Event announcements in this area, we have two for tonight. And the first one, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity presents their monthly documentary and discussion evening. Uh, They had one last week, which was a rescheduling from a couple of weeks back. They didn't uh, have one in January due to snow conditions here in the city. So last week, it went very successfully. They showed melt-up. It was a good turnout. A lot of great people came out. But most of all, uh, the the venue just was was great. It was a, a nice upgrade from where they have been having them. They were doing them at the Ethical Society. Not that that's not a great building and, uh, you know, uh, serves the purpose, but the uh, Media Bureau Studios is a very comfortable environment and um, kind of a more intimate environment for uh, a movie setting. And uh, the screen is bigger and it's got a nice overhead projector, digital projector, and, uh, you know, uh, some comfortable seating. So it was... uh, it was definitely a success, and we're looking forward to more documentary nights at Media Bureau. So next Wednesday will be the February screening, February 23rd, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. The location is Media Bureau Studios. That's at 725 North 4th Street. That is the corner of 4th and Brown in the Northern Liberty section of Philadelphia. And next week on the 23rd, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., Truth, Freedom, Prosperity will be screening End of America, the documentary film featuring Naomi Wolf. And it's a great film. Uh, We encourage everybody to come out and check it out. If you haven't already seen it, uh, encourage new people to come out. That's what it's all about. And for more information on this group and their activities, um, please visit truthfreedomprosperity.org. That's truthfreedomprosperity.org. Finally, the Free Your Mind Conference, less than two months away, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th at Ruba Hall, 414 Green Street in the city of Philadelphia. The doors open at 9 a.m., and the speaker program begins at 10 a.m. Admission is $20 per day if you get your tickets in advance, $30 per day at the door. Free Your Mind is a unique two-day conference scheduled for April 9th and 10th, 2011 in Philadelphia, PA, featuring multiple speakers and diverse educational materials for the purpose of raising public awareness of the critically important topics of mass mind control techniques, the covert and subversive influences upon our consciousness and behavior, trauma-based and ritualized abuse, and the practical mental and emotional healing methodologies available for those affected by these devices. The featured speakers, Aaron McCollum, Alfred Weber, Andrew Basiago, Bob Tuscan, Farah Yurdozu, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, John Nicholson, 
Joseph Mara, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, Mark Matika, Mark Passio, Michael Kelly, Paul Marco, and Suzanne Taylor. At the end of each day, we'll have a special event at, at the end of Saturday. Uh, toward the end of the program, we'll be screening Suzanne Taylor's documentary, What on Earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery, a great documentary on the crop circle phenomenon. And at the end of Sunday, we will be having a uh, roundtable panel discussion with whatever speakers are uh, left at the end of the day on Sunday, whichever one uh, whichever of them are still there and want to partake in the panel discussion will be welcome to do so. So, for more information on the Free Your Mind Conference, please visit www.freeyourmindconference.com. That's freeyourmindconference.com. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry for that, folks. A little bit dry. Let me get a drink of water here. Okay, that's better. So, we were talking about symbolism last week, and we're going to continue our discussion into symbolism over the next probably uh, a few weeks, because it's going to take a while to even get through all the different multifaceted uh, kinds of symbols that are employed as a language to basically subvert the subconscious mind. And we will be, I guess you could say, taking a uh, divergence, but it's not really a divergence. Uh, in the middle of talking about symbolism, we will be looking deeply into the philosophy of Freemasonry. And this will be part of the ongoing series of breaking down different occult traditions on this show to help people to understand the philosophies that are contained therein and how the occult is a essentially complex way of seeing all of the different facets of oneself. That's what it really is all ultimately about. And it is not one thing. The occult is not one thing. Just like symbols are not one thing, nor is the occult one thing. People have this misperception that the occult is all about evil. That's the connotation that it is often perceived with when that word is heard. And that's a form of mind control in and of itself because the word occult simply means hidden. And as we've belabored to try to explain to people on this show, the occult is simply hidden information about the human psyche. It is ancient human psychology and it is encoded into symbols and allegories, often to conceal that information from those which the group that is concealing them doesn't want the information to fall into the hands of or doesn't want other groups to understand that they are teaching. Okay? So, for example, the symbols of alchemy may be were, in fact, encoded into the forms that they were because during time times throughout history, you couldn't teach this in the open because you would have been, you know, in heresy of the uh, Catholic Church and you would have been done away with often in an extremely painful and torturous fashion. So the initiates of this tradition would have often encoded the symbols into uh, 
into uh, drawings, allegorical drawings, and in effect, they would be telling the teachings of alchemy without actually speaking or writing it. Because, as we've said last week, symbolism is a language. And we have to start with the basic building blocks, which is what I endeavored to do last week, and we're going to continue with that this week. And once you get the building blocks, those are like the letters, okay? And then you start forming words with those letters to get a little bit more complex with the symbols, okay? And then eventually we form sentences from words, and that's how we communicate thoughts. And that's what symbology is like. It's a language that you have to get the basic building blocks in order to build the vocabulary, in order to then build the syntax of the language. So in studying symbols like any occult study, and this is a study into the occult because this is hidden knowledge. Not many people are symbol literate, and that's sad because they're being controlled through symbols all the time in our culture. Um, in studying any uh, system like symbolism, you have to understand that uh, it's very rare that symbols ever mean one thing. In fact, they, they hardly ever do. Symbols are often dual in meaning or have more than two meanings even, okay? And we have to understand that many people have an overly simplistic interpretation of symbols and say, oh, well, it only, this only means one thing, when in fact that's not the case, as we will see. Hopefully I will be able to communicate that to people listening to the show and get them to understand that uh, symbols can be a little bit more complex when they are looked into a little bit deeper than at first perception of them. And the people who very often make this mistake are the same people, sadly, who have the misperception that the occult is all one thing as well. And it is not. There is a light side to the occult. Uh, it, it matters. What matters ultimately is what we do with said hidden information. It isn't the information itself that's good or evil. It's just information. What we do with it gives it uh, its value to the, to, to the overall consciousness of humanity. And it can be used as an uplift, and it can be used as uh, moving humanity forward in evolutionary terms and consciousness, or it can be used as a weapon. And what we're really doing here in this symbolism section is attempting to explain how symbolism, when it is not known, when the language is not understood and people are not literate in it, how those who do use these symbols and are literate in them and do understand the connotations that they convey to the human psyche and to the subconscious mind, uh, they, they will use them in fashions that, uh, that serve them and that repress and subvert the consciousness of the people that do not understand that language. So that's why it's important to expose this and to um, help people to have a better understanding of symbolism in general. And that's the whole purpose here. So let's jump in where we left off last week, and let's talk about astrotheological symbolism. What we did last week is we went through some basic zodiacal symbolism used in different logos and emblems and sigils, okay? And we looked at um, the symbol of the equal armed cross is pretty much where we left off. We were looking at uh, the Knights of Malta logo. We were looking at the 33rd degree emblem of Freemasonry. We were looking at 
uh, St. Peter's Square in the Vatican. We were looking at the, uh, the regalia of uh, the Pope uh, and some of the, uh, the symbolism that he employs on, um, re- on his religious regalia. And we saw that this is all solar and zodiacal symbolism. And it is often used in association because it reflects the sun and the power of the sun and of light, okay, and of energy and life, all things associated with the sun, okay, it is used in conjunction with institutions that are attempting to convey inherent authority, okay? They want to say, we are authority figures, okay? And often these are holdovers from solar cult worship and sects of the ancient past. Just like Christianity comes down to us today as an astrotheological religion based in sol- solar cult astrotheology. Okay? So there's a reason they choose the equal armed cross. There's a reason they choose symbols that are associated with the zodiac. Okay? The equal armed cross of the zodiac. There's a reason that these symbols are employed connection with the sun, and you put that together with uh, an institution that is claiming authority, okay? We saw the CIA uses this on their shield, on their uh, emblem as well, okay? This is what it conveys to the subconscious without even, the person doesn't have to be consciously aware of the symbolism. See, that, that's what I also want to convey about how symbolism works. Symbolism is working, it doesn't make a difference if you don't understand it. People say, well, I don't believe in that or in that interpretation of that symbol. It doesn't make a difference. You don't need belief for archetypal forms to be consciously recognized by the subconscious, I'm sorry, subconsciously recognized by your subconscious mind. These things are inherently recognized by us. We don't need to be consciously aware of them for them to be having effect. Once we do develop conscious awareness of them, then we can begin to, I guess you could say, desensitize ourselves to the effects of these symbols at the subconscious level and bring them up to the level of the conscious mind. So then you can say, oh, I recognize that. I understand its many possible interpretations, and I understand in the context how it's being used. Therefore, I'm not as affected by that symbol in this connotation, in the context that it's being attempted to be used in against my subconscious mind. So that's why becoming symbol literate is so important. So let's look at some, let's look further into astrotheology in symbols, in corporate logos, etc. Okay? Now, we saw in astrotheology there are three basic cults the solar cult, the lunar cult, and the cult of the stars and planets, or the stellar cult. So we're going to basically look at stellar cult symbology throughout the rest of this section on astrotheology symbology. Okay? So if we go up to the uh, website, if you go up to my website, whatonearthishappening.com, okay, you will see listed on the radio listen page, if you're not already there, you will see listed on the radio listen page, that's the button on the left-hand side, you click that, it'll take you to the radio listen page. And you will see a, 
uh, long list of symbols, um, numbers that are links to different images that I'm going to talk about tonight and probably into next week. So you can you can see the astrotheology there is the first section, and we went through the first seven symbols in the astrotheology section last week. We ended at number seven out of 23, I believe, total. Okay, so that last one was the Pope with the with the uh, cross and the mitre, and he has the eagle armed cross on his forehead, on his mitre, on his sachet there, okay? It's all about the symbolism of the cross. Now, we ended there, and we looked at, again, the reason that uh, the cross or zodiacal symbolism is used so uh, widely in authoritarian institutions. Now we're going to move on to image number eight in that section, okay? And if you click into image number eight in the Astro Theology section on my website, you will see the logo for the car Mercury. Now, Mercury is the first planet out from the sun. Now, transportation companies and information companies as well love to use the um, Astro Theology aspect of symbolism, okay? Um, Cars, you'll see it on many different kinds of cars, okay? Um, there's a reason for this, okay? The idea of freedom, of freedom to travel, is embedded in with moving off-world, okay? Going off of the earth, okay? Ultimately, we subconsciously recognize that earth is a prison, that what's going on here is control, and what has been going on here is control, and it's about controlling our consciousness, controlling our mind, so that ultimately we end up living as slaves, and therefore our body is ultimately controlled. Okay? And power and influence flows into the hands of fewer and fewer people who then have the power to centralize that even more. But it's all perception of power because it's all authority isn't real. It's all a claim of authority and other people who aren't conscious rec rec acknowledging the claim, as we've talked about many times on the show. Now, when you take that into the realm of the subconscious mind, when you understand that everybody knows this, they just don't understand it at a conscious level. The reason there's so much denial out there in the world is because people know they're under control. People know male dominators own and run this entire world, this culture, as it stands right now. They don't really own it, but they're basically in control because they enact violence against other people who uh, try to challenge them, and they get people who are actually under their mind control to enact the violence against other people who are also under their mind control. It's a sad, pitiful situation, uh, and it's going to come down. It's going to come to an end. But the question is, is just how bad it will have to get before that happens. Just how much suffering will have to be endured by humanity before that occurs? Because it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. Because it's not really our will as to whether this control system comes uh, crashing down and breaking apart eventually. Uh, that's that's not up to us. And 
the only thing that really is up to us is how much pain we choose to experience during that process. And subconsciously, everybody really knows that. So they know we're living in a prison society. Okay, that's why there's so much denial. That's why their eyes go glassy when you mention a lot of this stuff. You know, it's, um, it's something that they recognize inherently, but not at a conscious level. Okay, they know that that's the case, and they want freedom from that. They want to be free. Their true self, their true nature wants to be free, but they're in such fear that they, they won't do the work necessary to bring that understanding up to the conscious level and face it because of the horrors that are pretty much associated with that knowledge. When you understand how bad of a place this really is, and that essentially it's like a hell world, okay? So not that many incredible, wonderful, good things don't happen here, and there are wonderful people in this world, but as a whole, it's not a great place to be uh, as far as evolutionary uh, possibility goes. We are limiting ourselves from our true potential, and people know this. So what... A, a smart advertiser would want to do here, what a smart marketing genius, what somebody who wants to get into the subconscious and tap that, um, that desire. They know that desire is there. They, they know a desire for freedom is ultimately underneath. But they want to sell you a product. They, don't, they can't sell you true freedom. True freedom can't be bought or sold. Okay, It's something that is lived. It is something that, you know, is within, ultimately. And they know that they can't sell that to somebody. They need to sell you on the idea of freedom. So they're going to put symbols of outer space, of objects that are beyond the hell world that we're living in, beyond the earth realm, beyond the floor of the house, so to speak, as they call it in Freemasonry, okay? And they, they want to sell you on the idea that you're going to get in your car and you're going to, it's, it, it is Mercury, okay? It is Saturn, okay? It is another planet. You're going off world. Now, of course, this isn't literal, okay? They don't literally believe that you're going to believe that or accept that. It's, it's a symbol. It's getting, it's resonating with an idea. It's making an association. That's what symbols do. And again, I said this last week, and I'll reiterate it this week. If you're going to take this entire thing and try to approach it from a purely, purely left-brain perspective, turn off the show now, close the browser window, and good night, because you, nothing will be understood as a result of that kind of, of thinking. You have to put your brain into a holistic understanding, a holistic modality, which is looking at things from a slightly different perspective and from a creative and an intuitive perspective, and that's right brain awareness. That has to be combined with looking at the forms and understanding at a, at a conscious level what they're basically speaking to at the subconscious level. Okay? So, if again, throw the left brain thinking on the back burner and look at this from a creative perspective. Okay? You have to understand they're equating. It's all about equating the symbol with an idea. 
Okay, this is called association. Okay, symbolic association. This is done constantly in marketing, constantly in advertising. Okay, so numbers eight and nine, these are astrotheology symbols. Mercury and Saturn, the names that they have chosen and the imagery that they have chosen is astrotheological in nature and it is tapping that subconscious desire for freedom to get out of the situation that we're in. And again, that associates with, with actually getting off world into space, into the heavens, so to speak, okay, into heaven, which is a better place, all right? This is all symbolic thinking. We're not talking literally here, of course, all right? Now, if we look at number 10 and 11, okay? Images 10 and 11 in the astrotheology section, we see that here more Saturnian symbolism is used. This is the direct TV, again, the communications uh, company, and Nike, okay? Uh, and that's also associated with the idea of travel or running, okay? So we see the ring of Saturn being used here, and just a part of it. So it looks like a swirl or a swoosh, okay? But really, this is, this is an archetype. This is Saturnian imagery. It's, it's ring symbolism, okay? That's employed constantly. Again, well, I'm only showing a few examples here just to paint a picture in people's minds. This is, you will see this repeatedly over and over like a theme that runs throughout symbolism. You can discover this in all kinds of logos, all kinds of symbols that we are surrounded and inundated with in our culture. Okay, we are moving on to image number 12. Now, this is another interesting one. And again, now remember, always a need being fulfilled here, but not the real need at a mental, at a deep subconscious level. The need, the, the need is being responded to and then handed a proxy. A proxy meaning it's not the real thing, it's something that is given in replacement of the real thing. Okay, so the Dodge truck logo. Okay? And now this is astrotheological symbolism, but it's much more. Okay, So let me explain. We're looking at image number 12 now on the astrotheology section. The Dodge uh, uh, truck logo, which is a huge ram's head. Now, this is the symbol for Aries. Okay? Aries the ram. All right? Now, that's astrotheology symbolism. Aries being the first so sign of the zodiac. Uh, that uh, the sun enters when it enters the spring season at the spring equinox. However, if we really look closer at the Dodge Ram uh, head on this uh, shield, this red shield, incidentally, okay, we will see that really what it is is it's the uterus. It's the exact same shape as the feminine uterus and the fallopian tubes that come off of the uterus. So this is the female reproductive system. So what they're doing is to the you know macho guys that buy want to go out and buy Dodge trucks, right? They're selling to that um, uh, to that um, uh, marketing potential. Okay, their target audience, right? They're selling uh, to that target audience, which is predominantly male, predominantly middle-aged, 
you know, younger to middle-aged men. They're, they're putting something of sexual desire at a subconscious level, okay? We want to reproduce, okay? We want sex, all right? The, the feminine sexual reproductive system right there on the logo. And you can actually, if you do a search on Google, you can get a comparison. I should have put one up there, but I put this together earlier today um, and didn't get a chance to. But if you type in Dodge and you know, uterus, I'm sure you can get a comparison image there that shows just how similar these images actually are. So that's, again, association and, and playing upon a subconsciously held desire and then fulfilling it through proxy, okay? The um, next image, image number 13, is the McDonald's logo. Okay, red and yellow often in very many cases used in conjunction with food. These are colors that resonate in general with food and with the, uh, the desire for food. But moreover, again, this is astrotheology symbolism because we again see the double arch of the, um, of the ram. So this is Aries symbolism here. Okay. Um, also, the color being associated with gold, okay, the sun, energy, okay, as food is what we need for energy. Um, that's a relatively simple one. Moving on to image number 14, the star ATM logo. Again, here's more stellar occult symbolism, and you see the Saturnian ring there again, and all the name of it is star, okay? So... This is um, associated with money, monetary flow, again, associated with astrotheology. Image number 15. Now, we're combining a whole lot. This is almost like a sigil. Again, 15 is the Starbucks logo. Everybody knows this one, very popular coffee house. And uh, we see many images, many symbols kind of teamed up on this one. Now, I'll be repeating this one in a few weeks when we look at goddess symbolism because this is a depiction of the goddess. We see the crescent moon. Okay, So this is, again, there's some lunar symbolism in this one as, as far as astrotheology. The goddess herself is the goddess of the night sky, the goddess of the moon. It represents Isis or Mary. Okay, um, And it, again, it's like a mermaid as well. Okay, if you look at it like uh, you're, what you're seeing, looking at it from either side is the mermaid's tail. Okay, so this is associated with the goddess of the waters. Again, water being the sign of the sacred feminine. We looked at all of these associations when we looked at Kabbalah and tarot and, and the goddess symbolism contained in the tarot. Now the name of the coffee company is Starbucks. Okay, Starbucks. Okay. Right in the name, there's astrotheology again, the cult of the stars. And we see three stars on the Starbucks logo. And one of them is actually in her crown, again, representing illumination or enlightenment. Uh, none of these things you will get at Starbucks. But they're selling you on the idea, the, the goddess of truth. That's what the goddess represents, the sacred feminine. Care. All of these things subconsciously resonating the crowned one, enlightenment, the queen of heaven, the crescent moon, 
stars are often associated with sovereignty. That's why they're used on the American flag. We'll look at this a little bit later tonight when we talk about the five-pointed star and why it's used in extensively throughout these logos. Okay? So, that's ash, basic astrotheology symbolism leading up there to one that a lot of different symbols are teamed up on. Again, really effective marketers don't like to just go for the one symbol. They want to team up different mental associations and combine them in, in their logo or their, uh, or their emblem. And um, all of those things will resonate together simultaneously. So the next section of the astrotheological symbolism that we're going to look at, as I said last week, is Piscean symbolism or the symbol of Pisces. So th these images are images number 16 through 23 in the astrotheology section, taking us to the end of that section. And the first image is just a representation of the symbol of Pisces with the two fish there symbolically depicted. That is what Pisces is, uh, the, the, it's the house of the two fish, okay? That's the symbol of Pisces, two fish often going in different directions as you see them there in image number 16, okay? And what that represents is really the two interlocking circles of the main symbol that we're going to look at known as the Vesica Pisces, okay? Now, it's called the Vesica Pisces for a reason because it is connected with the fish. It looks like a fish, a body of a fish, and it's associated with the house of Pisces. This is the age of the zodiac that we're in. It's the, we're in the age of Pisces. What that means is that when the sun rises in the eastern, eastern direction every morning, if we were to see the constellation that is directly behind the sun as the sun is rising, we would see Pisces. Sun essentially comes up in Pisces. Now, uh, that is at the spring equinox, I should say. Okay, that is how the age that we are in is determined. At the spring equinox, you look eastward on the horizon, sun's rising, it's coming up inside of a, meaning, in, inside meaning it is visually in front of a zodiacal house. If we were to see the stars of, of the zodiac band behind the sun, we would be looking at Pisces if we looked behind the sun, okay, at that time. That's what we mean when we say in the house of Pisces. Now, um, image number 17 is a perfect example of Piscean symbolism. And again, this is connected with the sun, okay? Again, all of the things that are connected with the sun, you're going to actually is actually going to go into the subconscious mind by looking at symbolism that is derived from um, uh, this astro these astrotheological forms. And in this case, we're looking at the Vesica Pisces. Now, let me explain what the Vesica Pisces is. If we take two circles and we begin to merge them, two disks, okay, in two dimensions, and we just begin to overlap them, okay? The space in which they overlap will form a, um, a tapered oval or a, a, a double-ended teardrop shape, I guess you could say, a shape like a seed, okay? Um, this seed in the middle of these two circles is known as the Vesica Pisces. 
Again, it looks like the body of a fish. If we looked at it from either direction, we could see that there's also a, a fin at the end if we put like a, an imaginary line between the tops of the circles. Okay? Now, this is sacred geometry. This is known as sacred geometry. Now, you can look this up and you'll probably spend, you know, you could spend years looking into sacred geometry if you're not familiar with the term. Sacred geometry is basically geometry that is based upon circles, which is the sacred shape. Ultimately, it's based upon circles and spirals. These are the shapes that really are completely derived from natural forms, the, sh the circle being the perfect shape, and then we have spirals, which are found in fractal patterns that underlie nature and all natural forms. So to go back to uh, the Vesica Pisces, it is based upon this sacred geometry. Essentially, the entire world is based upon sacred geometry, the Vesica Pisces being one of the primary forms of sacred geometry when we look at it because it represents the seed. It represents the womb because you, you start with one thing and then as you, you know, as it basically divides into two, you have, if we look at the MasterCard logo as an example of this, let's say the red circle on the left, that is, let's say that's the primary object the one thing, okay? As it then divides into two, okay, we have duality, so now we have the, we have the uh, orange circle there on the right. But the space in which they overlap forms this womb, and it is a womb shape if we look at it, okay? It is the female reproductive organ shape, okay? This is, um, it's a vaginal shape, okay? And this is played upon as we will see, Okay? We'll see that in the next uh, logo that's coming up, the Chanel for Men uh, perfume. Um, but to stay on the Vesica Pisces for just a moment longer, that shape in the middle is the place of potentiality, of creation that exists between the two uh, seemingly opposites or pol polar um, uh, essences, the two circles, okay? And it represents the synthesis between those two. So that's essentially what the Vesica Pisces is, is ultimately about. And we will see how it is used in different symbols uh, in corporate and religious symbolism in a moment. Let's move to, so there it is in number 17, the MasterCard logo. And the word master is used in conjunction with this. Okay, because ultimately mastery comes from the combination of the left and right brain. That's what this also is an allusion to. It is, it is these two poles coming together okay, to form this synthesis again, and ultimately that's all about the awakening of the third eye. And we can obviously see it's an eye shape. Okay? This is the shape of an eye. Okay? Not the letter I, but an eye, a human eye. Okay? This is the coming together of the left and right brains to open up the eye. And we'll see how the eye figures into this tonight as well. It's about mastery. When that happens, it's mastery. So they're using this all in this logo, 
It's the, none of this is accidental. I can assure you of this. Okay? This is specifically chosen because of the connotations that it carries. I hear the music for the first break. I'm Mark Passio. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening on the Intel Hub News Network. We'll be right back after these messages, folks. Stay with us. In a world where corrupt oppressors and oligarchs have seized control of the population, total tyranny is amongst us. The burden of humanity rests on our shoulders. The only way out is to expose the global crime syndicate known as the New World Order. Together, we are all one. Together, we are Intel soldiers. The battle for free humanity ensues. Join us in the fight. The Intel Hub.com. A very wealthy U.S. citizen is predicting that in 2011, we will witness the most important day in America in more than 50 years. He says it will change everything about our lives. The way you shop, travel, invest, educate your children, and even how you take care of your health and family. Now this man has made some outrageous predictions over the years, but the crazy part is he's usually right. You see, he predicted the collapse of GM, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and America's biggest mall owner, General Growth Properties, a few years ago. In fact, Baronis called his work a dire prophecy. Now, this has nothing to do with the stock market, but it could have a huge impact on almost every aspect of your life. And recently, he created a video, which you can watch online for free, detailing his biggest and most important prediction yet. And it's a real eye-opener. I can't stress this enough. You should at least watch this free video online today. He explains everything you need to know, including simple steps you can take to protect yourself. You can find the video at www endofamerica8.com. Although this video may be offensive to some audiences, it's worth checking out. Again, that's www.endofamerica8.com. Watch this free video at www.endofamerica8.com. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the New World Order piece by piece. Secure your future. Get your non-hybrid seed pack now. With the looming economic crisis, food shortages, and other toxic disasters, now is the time to be ready. Just click on the Heirloom Organics banner at the top of our Blog Talk radio page today. Secure your future and the future of your family in hard times. Heirloom Organic Seeds. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and MC Griffith, Thursdays and Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern for Freedom of Radio on the Intel Hub News Network.
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're back on What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Before the break, we were talking about Piscean symbolism and the symbolism of the Vesica Pisces. We were looking at the MasterCard logo, and we were uh, looking at the connotations that these symbols and words are teamed up with to employ to the subconscious. So, again, we see that the Vesica Pisces is actually a symbol of um, synthesis is a symbol of creation. Um, it is a symbol of the union of opposites. It is a therefore a sexual symbol, and uh, not just at a physical level, but at a um, level of blending the male, the masculine, I should say, and feminine. It exists within each of us in the process known as the chemical wedding. And that is what creates enlightenment, that is what truly opens the mind, that is what truly uh, gives access through this gateway of sorts to higher levels of consciousness, which is also what the Vesica Pisces represents a gate as well. It's all of these things. It's the pineal gland. It is the uh, all-seeing, it is the eye, okay? Uh, It relates with the all-seeing eye, because that's what the pineal gland ultimately is. Um... It is the womb of creation, okay? And it is the union of opposites or the blending of uh, opposite polarities to create a a synthesis between them. Uh, And they're using the word mastery in conjunction with that. Master, okay? Because it does, this shape does imply mastery. So image number 18 shows you an even more subversive use of this, the Chanel perfume logo, the two interlocking C's. Now, ostensibly, that's for Chanel, yes, but they're put together in this very specific fashion, forming the vesica Pisces. And again, this is the feminine reproductive organ, and it says Chanel for men. Now, the subconscious uh, reads things differently than the conscious mind does. So, If there's one N, you could substitute two Ns and see that word as channel. It's the same phonetically as the word channel. So we would have symbolically, in symbolic language, yes, in left brain awareness, it does indeed say channel, but in holistic brain awareness, in symbolic awareness, that word is channel, okay? Whether it has one N or two, it's the same phonetic uh, combination of sounds. And what they're saying here is the channel for men. And that, you know, speaks for itself. This is sexual symbolism used in a almost overt way. You know, it's almost hard not to see it, you know, once you know a little bit about symbolism. So, um, again, always selling something to you not the actual thing. They're not going to sell you sex, but they're going to sell you the idea of sex. We see this used all the time in in uh, television commercials, commercials, beer commercials, football commercials, you know, during during uh, football, everything. You know, uh, the the car car commercials that we see on television, always trying to sell people on the idea that 
you know, our product is sexy. You know, you have this, you know, uh, sex will follow, okay? It's all a proxy, all selling people subconsciously on, on an idea so that then they will associate that idea with the product, the thing that they want, okay? They know everybody wants sex. It's an innate human need, okay? Uh, they will then associate that, uh, that innate need with their product, and therefore that creates desire. They're latching on to an existing desire and associating that with their product. Same thing with cool, cool cigarette logo, cigarettes logo on image number 19. There, the Vesica Pisces employed. Okay, same idea. Associating desire with their product, and indeed, desire is associated with cigarettes for certain. Uh, I fortunately never got into that habit, but uh, I know how difficult it can be. It can be one of the hardest to break. Um, you know, people uh, who I see have attempted to quit many times in their life, attempted being the key word, um, a very difficult uh, addiction, cigarettes. And, uh, you know, tobacco often gets the rap for it, but tobacco is a naturally occurring plant. It's all the additives in tobacco that creates all the problems. We pretty much looked at that when we looked into the food section, and I believe I uh, alluded to that. But um, the cool logo here, clearly employing the symbolism of the Vesica Pisces in a uh, association with desire. Now, image number 20 in this section is the CBS logo. And uh, as a television network, they're employing here the all-seeing eye. And indeed, that's what we do. We watch the television, okay? The eye being used here symbolically. And this is the Vesica Pisces again. And it is associating their product with, again, the, all the things that go along with the Vesica Pisces. Desire, enlightenment, union of opposites, um, <clears throat> uh, solar symbolism as well. And all of these things they're associating with their product, which is the, uh, the programming that they hit people with through the television the hypnotic device and again an eye is often a uh, symbol that is used in conjunction with hypnosis as well uh, the way one looks into one's eyes and here this eye is wide open with a large pupil in the middle uh, with two large lids uh, you know looking almost sinister being that it's one eye and we'll look at the symbolism of the one eye but um, here again Vesca Pisces symbolism clearly displayed. Now, let's look at religious symbolism when it comes to the Vesca Pisces or Piscean symbolism. And a good reason for this is because one of the most powerful institutions in the world, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, derives its symbolism from the, the astrotheological symbolism of Pisces. And there's a reason for that. And we talked about that when we covered astrotheology on this show. And it is because precisely the sun is in the house of Pisces in the age that we are in presently. And in order to pay homage to the sun, which is what this astrotheology cult is ultimately all about, it is the worship of the sun, uh, 
It is not the worship of the man that they call Jesus, um, and that is a another proxy or symbol, and it all represents the Son being the Savior of the world. And we went into this enormously and at length in the astrotheology section. If you didn't uh, catch that, please go back into the podcast archives on my site. Go to the podcast tab, and all of the archives are there. You could go back to the shows on astrotheology and check that out. And um, here in image number 21, we'll start looking at the uh, Piscean symbolism when it comes to the uh, Catholic Church. So we see, uh, again, an image of the Pope wearing the mitre. He has the mitre on his head. And if we look at the mitre from the side, as it is seen in this image, now we saw the Pope's mitre in image number seven, okay, from the front or from a front. Uh, at an angle slightly, but here we see it completely from the side, and you can clearly see that that is a large fish head, okay, that is placed upon the head of the Pope. It even has, you know, that that uh, sash coming off the back forms like the tail of the fish, because what it ultimately is representing is the Pope here as the fish god, okay. And I know that sounds strange to people who have not looked into astrotheology, but the image number 22 will clear that up a little bit, and when we get to the symbol sim, symbolism of the pine cone, um, we will also uh, see some uh, fish uh, and bird symbolism employed in uh, solar astrotheology cults and cult worship of the ancient past. Uh, being that Christianity is a remnant of that, is a holdover from those ancient days of solar worship, and it is still it still does represent the solar cult in the modern world. Here we see the uh, the Pope uh, as the the vicar of the Sun God, okay, uh, of the Christ uh, on Earth, showing that indeed this age is all about the fish, the Pisces. Jesus uh, is alleged to have been a fisherman. Okay, this is all. Symbol, symbolic. It's astrotheology. It means that he is the god, the savior hero, that is um, brought in at the age of Pisces. And this is the story of the sun savior during this age. And the story is the same no matter what age it's in. It doesn't make a difference if we were in the house of Aries, then there would be a, a story of, you know, the Abrahamic uh, religions. Uh, you know, we see, you know, it based upon uh, Ram and um, uh, uh, in, uh, we see ram symbolism employed in uh, Judaism and we can go back to uh, bull symbolism when we when the sun was in the house of Taurus which is before Aries okay two houses before uh, Pisces um, now when it was in Taurus again it was about the worship of the bull and we see bull symbolism used uh, in um, in the ancient Middle East, uh, we see the bull god uh, Molech being worshipped. We see um, uh, the Old Testament stories of the people making a golden calf to worship, which is essentially, a, you know, it's a bull. And, you know, that being said, that that's sinful, that's blasphemous. Don't do that. No longer do that because the sun, you know, the, the old... Uh, age was ending, and the sun was moving into the house of of uh, Aries, and now it's we're moving on to ram symbolism under Moses. You know, 
Ramses, Ram Moses, Ram, Abraham, Abram. This is it's all it's all about astrotheology. The whole thing is about astrotheology, and how these words all fit into place, and words fit in with these symbols. It's a tapestry. We have to understand that people who understand this have been using these things against us as weapons for thousands of years. And until we learn their language, we're, we're going to be powerless to defend ourselves against this. We don't even know the symbols that they're using out in the open, in the open, and people buy into this and accept it readily. Some of the, the most you know, wicked people associated with high religion, you know, completely uh, traumatizing children, sexually abusing them, and then covered up at highest levels. You know, the current Pope. I highly recommend people watch the documentary Sex, Crimes, and the Vatican. If anybody listening to the show has any high opinion of Christianity, especially in an organized sense, again, if you want to talk about the esoteric underlying true essence of the Christian tradition that was beginning to gain steam around the first century A.D., I'm all, all ears, and let's talk about it, and let's delve deeply into it. But as far as organized religion in the modern day goes, when it comes to the, the uh, so-called Christian tradition, it's all astrotheology, and at the highest levels, it's being run by evil people. You know, the Pope right now was the cardinal during all the reshuffling of these priests that, that abused children in horrible, sick, twisted, depraved ways, and... He just signed papers and, you know, uh, did all the uh, bureaucratic things necessary to just move these priests over into other parishes so that they can continue to do the same thing over and over again to different children instead of actually working in conjunction to have these people uh, put away where they, where they really belong, which is uh, sequestered from the rest of the uh, pot human population where they can't do any harm. Uh, but... You know, that's a whole other issue. Maybe I can link to that uh, in this uh, section since we're talking a little bit about uh, astrotheology and uh, tonight's show and how that fits into Christianity when it comes to symbolism. But, uh, yeah, Sex Crimes in the Vatican, a, a great documentary. I highly encourage it if you have the stomach for it because um, it is quite disturbing. But uh, look at image number 22, and now we'll see where this fish symbolism is derived from. So this is a Syrian uh, and I believe Akkadian symbolism. This is the, the cult of Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, the fish god. And this is, you know, uh, Middle Eastern symbolism of the ancient world going back, I guess, five to 6,000 years. And it is, um, again, a representation of a fish god. Now, they claim that their gods were scaly, or had feather-like, uh, scalish or featherish skin, okay? Now, this can mean a lot of different things. Uh, symbolically, it could be symbolic, but it, some people also suggest that maybe these gods were hybrids of some sort, and they weren't actual gods, they were some sort of um, hybrid being, like uh, maybe uh, extraterrestrial mixed with humans. And these qualities were depicted 
okay? Maybe their skin qualities were depicted by feathers or depicted by scales, okay, because of the way their skin may have appeared so that they, people, when they were depicting them in their renderings, drew them like this. Some people claim it was because they came from the sea, maybe from an advanced civilization after some sort of a cataclysm, and they looked at them as fish people. Maybe they had flying technology, and they looked at them as bird people. There's a myriad of explanations. But indeed, we see bird gods and fish gods often used in conjunction with solar cult astrotheological worship in the ancient world. Okay? Dagon being one of them, but there were many others. Um, so you can see clearly this depiction of the miter on his head, okay? It, but it's a, an actual fish head with the body and tail and all, okay? And you can see clearly that this is a, uh, the, the, what we're seeing in modern Christianity, the, the, the trappings of the Pope, are clearly a holdover of this ancient solar religion. Okay, so I, I would highly recommend looking into Sumerian mythology uh, and Akkadian and Assyrian uh, mythology to understand some of this. So I might post a couple of book links this week to the podcast archive. I didn't get a chance to do that last week, but I have a couple of uh, good books on symbolism that I'll probably link to this week as well. Moving on to image number 23, this is the last one for this section, and we'll move on to a different topic uh, regarding symbolism. But just to wrap up and uh, uh, the astrotheology section, this is the popular symbol of Jesus as used in the modern world uh, when it comes to symbology. This is how Jesus is symbolically depicted as the fish. And there's, it should be obvious by now listening to the show as to why, because the uh, Piscean symbol represents the age that we are in as far as the sun is concerned, as far as the uh, procession of equinoxes. The sun is in the house of Pisces at the current time that we live in. And therefore, the sun savior mythos must be, must be associated with fish or Piscean symbolism. Now, this symbol is actually much more ancient than being used in conjunction with Jesus. It goes back to Egyptian uh, cosmology, and it goes back to the um, disciples of Horus, Horus being the sun god of the Egyptian mythos, the golden falcon. We talked about this in, in the astrotheology section many weeks ago. But Horus being the sun god of Egypt, and again, this looks very much like the eye of Horus in this configuration put on its side. In the original uh, followers, the, the religion of Horus, his followers were known as the Shemsu Hor. This means the disciples of Horus. Okay? And uh, if you simply turn the Jesus fish, the Vesica Pisces, or the eye, which is what it is, okay? If you just turn that eye upright, in other words, rest it on its tail so that the point faces up in the air, you essentially have the symbol of what was known as the disciples of Horus in the Egyptian tradition. It's one of the symbols of the Shemsu Hor. Now, um, what I would also say is 
it is a reflection of the direction that humanity has gone, that this symbol, which was originally upright, okay, it was originally erect or pointing upward, okay, we have now tipped it to the left, and that is very, very symbolic and telling, because humanity is largely in a state of left-brained imbalance. That's why we can't see the total pictures. We're trapped in ego, the ego barriers of the left brain and identification with the physical world. And this is a uh, reflection of the direction that religion in general has taken. Now, religion is a right brain imbalance, but I should say it's, a, it's an indicator of the direction that consciousness has taken as a whole of people on the earth. And we are moving in the sinister direction the fish is, so to speak, symbolically here, okay? We need to make that the upright once again, okay? Because that forms the gateway, uh, that forms, you know, the all-seeing eye up above the, the pyramid, if we look at it in a, in a negative aspect, okay? A stargate opening up, the pineal gland, the, uh, the gateway out of the, the uh, ways that we are controlled, the gateways out of the limited ways that we are thinking in the modern world. Because ultimately, all of the control is predicated upon mind control. We need to open our minds. We need to free our minds from the types of limitation that we're trapped in, which is made possible only by being limited into the left brain uh, way of seeing the world instead of a holistic way, which incorporates the sacred feminine and the uh, creative capabilities of the right brain. So balance is what we're looking for, and I would say that uh, that symbol would be better represented as being balanced by being upright rather than tilted to the left there. But I understand what they're going for here. It is also a symbol of an eye in that configuration. And again, it is completely tied in with the eye of Horus because Horus is the same sun savior that Jesus represents. So that is astrotheological symbology uh, explained in a nutshell. But again, it is simply my interpretation, and it is very limited because we could sit here for days discussing all of this, these different forms of symbolism. Again, I want to give people a basic overview, and then they can do studies on, on their own further. So let's move on to another, um, another topic uh, or another uh, form of symbolism. Let's look at the fasces. Okay, so we can look at image number one in the fasces section. Now, what the fasces is, you will see it depicted there in image number one, is a bundle of rods or staffs, okay, that are tied together, often lashed together with uh, leather or some other form of material, and they are lashed around an, a central axe. The axe is sometimes depicted in the middle of them, or it is sometimes lashed uh, directly to this uh, larger bundle of rods or, or staffs. Now, what this is, and this derives out of the ancient Roman culture, the ancient uh, Roman Empire, this is a symbol of centralized authority, centralization of power. And we'll, we'll see how this is used in the modern world, has been used in the modern world. It represents... The, the, the axe represents the central authority, okay? 
it represents um, the empire, so to speak. It represents uh, the the larger centralized government, okay? And the smaller staffs are representative of the satellite uh, states or satellite nations that form the empire that are ruled from the central authority of an emperor or a king or a pope or a leader, etc. So, essentially, the cutting blade of the axe keeps all of the other satellite nations, so to speak, in line. Okay, It represents the, the greatest power. And then all of the other things are subservient to it, so they are bound by it. They are bound to it. Okay? You can clearly see where this symbolism is going as far as concepts and ideas of authority. It's an authoritative, authoritarian symbol. And it represents greater centralization of power, meaning once you have people recognizing your claims and acting on your behalf and doing what you are telling them to do, you then, develop, you then acquire more of this capability and it becomes easier to centralize even faster and build up and build up and build up. And that's what we're seeing, a march toward globalization and a march toward ever-increasing centralization of power whereby fewer and fewer people make decisions that control other people's lives and try to tell them what they may or may not do regardless of whether they are harming anyone or not. Of course, this is completely antithetical to natural law to the concept of principles, to the concept of human rights, and to the concept of right versus wrong. Okay, um, And the perpetrators of this know, know this ultimately at the highest levels because they're psychopathic madmen, completely imbalanced to the left brain, basically don't really have a soul like uh, you and I do, and you know, as we perceive the human soul, they don't, they don't have those qualities because they're psychopathic and really can't experience human emotion and they use this symbol wherever authority is demanded or commanded wherever they say we are the authority okay and this is the symbol that's going to show you that we're the authority that we're in charge we're the boss what we say goes and again this is all utter nonsense it's utter crap it's utter bs uh, all authority in this domain, in the three-dimensional space-time realm, anywhere you go within it, is illusionary, and it's a claim that exists. And I don't care who claims to the contrary, you're wrong. The end. The end, you're wrong. There is no authority in the three-dimensional space-time continuum that we call the physical universe, in the flesh. Doesn't exist, isn't going to exist, never has existed. It's a claim. It's a claim that exists only within the minds of the people making the claim and those accepting the claim. And that's all it is. Because there is no authority here in this space-time dimension. There is no innate authority, no inherent authority. It's an illusion. It's all a claim to try to control other people. When somebody says, says the phrase, I have the authority, or 
this entity has the authority. You know what that's called? It's called mind control, ladies and gentlemen. And that's all it's called. And that's all it is. And if you actually believe that claim, you're under mind control. The end. You know, cry about it, pound your fists on the desk, bang your head against the wall all you like. Nothing will ever change the fact that that's the truth. That's all it is. Okay? No one has authority over anybody else in point of fact reality, meaning objective reality. And there is such a thing. Again, we get into the ideas of moral relativism and solipsism and these ideas that, the, you know, my truth is different than your truth and, you know, uh, you, you, what you are saying about authority, you know, may be true for some people and not for... No, it isn't. There is such a thing called right and wrong. It exists objectively. If you understand natural law by studying it and its ramifications, you will understand that which right is and that which wrong is. And I do clearly understand what those things are. And it's very simple. Right is any, any action you do have a right to take which doesn't harm another, period. You're not creating physical harm. I, I was talking about this with a friend. We were, boiling down, you know, we were talking about the natural law um, uh, transgressions, the, the, the traditional things that are looked at as being wrong or going against natural law. And this is just an aside to symbolism for a minute, for a moment. But, uh, you know, people have boiled them down to four, murder, rape, trespass, and theft. Now, that's a, a, quite a simplification, but I said we could go down and simplify it even further. And really, it's all ultimately one thing. One, there is one ultimate wrong that you can do, that you can take. If you really think about it and boil it down, okay, and many... Uh, very aware and conscious spiritual teachers have actually made this observation. Okay? Uh, people who, if they do make this observation, listen to them because they know what they're talking about. Okay? Uh, I won't give any names, but I could think of a couple off the top of my head that I did hear this from in the past. And um, it's a very astute and profound observation when it comes to natural law. When we're talking about what is harming people, we look at murder, okay, you can extend that into assault or taking physical violence against somebody without cause, without the right to do so. It's the initiation of undue force. You can have a right to use force, but only if someone is employing undue force against you, which is called violence, okay? So violence, essentially, is number one, okay? Then rape, and that's a form of violence, of course. It's sexual violence, okay? And then theft, okay? Taking something that doesn't belong to you, and trespass, which, which you could boil down to destruction of property or being in someone's space that they are actually employing, living in, using without, you know, the right to be there, you know, they, they've staked the claim to this space that's their living conditions and environment, and you're going in, into there, you know, unwarrantedly. So you could boil all these things down to one thing, and that's theft. And that may sound strange to some people, but if you think about it, if you're killing someone, you're taking their life, and you didn't have the right to, to do it if it's murder, okay? If you're 
beating them, you know, or taking physical violence in some form against them, and you didn't have a right to do it, you're taking their health or their physical well-being. If you're taking their things, that's self-evident, that's, self, that's very obvious. You didn't have a right to do that. That's just straight theft. And if you're, um, you know, taking their, uh, 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 damaging their property, you're taking their right to, to basically, um, you know, be secure in their environment. You know, and, uh, you know, that extends to damaging the product of their labor or thieving from the product of their labor. That's called taxation, which is theft. It's all theft in one form or another. Theft is the ultimate transgression. It's really everything else, every other transgression, every other form of moral wrong is another variant of theft. If you really think about it and get down to it. Okay, so. The reason I was talking about this is because we were getting into the idea of authority as represented by the fascist symbol. Okay? And of course, this is the symbol that represents fascism. That's what, it's, that's what fascism is named after this symbol. Okay? Because fascism is totalitarian authoritarianism, meaning there is absolute control by the state and there is no rule, room for argument. What we say goes, and if you don't agree, violence is going to be carried out against you. That's called totalitarianism. That's rapidly what the United States of America is moving toward, a totalitarian form of government. And people think there's a big difference between fascism and socialism, and this is another artificial dichotomy. They're the same thing. They're total control in the name of violence saying, if you don't do what we say in the way we say it, we will conduct violence against you. And that's it. That's what all authority is if you really boil it down. That's it. It's somebody saying, I'm in, I'm in control, you're going to be subservient to me, and if you don't do what I say, I'm going to be violent against you when I don't have a right to do that. And that's what all authoritarianism is, which is why I believe in none of it, because I'm not under mind control. Because that's all of, all of that is. This whole argument that there's any such thing as authority is ultimately what the entire, the entire um, world view of mind control is built upon. Claims of authority in the flesh when no such thing exists because you're not God. That's why. You want to really come down to it? Okay. The institution of governments is an idea that even is predicated upon the idea that man is God. Okay? Because if that authority doesn't exist in any individual, how can multiple individuals combine non-existent authority to institute governments? It's all mind control. It's all trying to get people to accept the idea of authority which does not exist. You believe in illusion, you get an illusionary world that creates suffering. The end. That's it. You want to take anything away from the show? That's it. You want to continue to believe in illusion, things that don't exist, and continue to act upon them, you're going to continue to get more suffering. I don't know how much simpler I can put that. But there it is. So this is the fascist symbol and what it represents in the eyes of control freaks. Control freaks. You know, people who hate themselves so much that what they really want to do is just uh, make other people's lives miserable. 
by conducting violence against them in some form. That's it. That's all it is. These are self-loathing people and always have been. Why? Because they've never really turned inward and understand where real power lies. They've never found that place of power within themselves and the connection to the true source of creation. They don't have that capability, maybe some of them, you know? And instead of seeking healing, which our society should do, you know, all they do is they seek control. So this is one of these sick, twisted notions, and this is a sick, twisted symbol. And what I would say is, indeed, this does represent kind of almost a one, a unidimensional way of looking at a symbol. I don't know of any other interpretation for the fasces itself. It's a complex symbol. You can look at the axe uh, a little bit differently. The axe is used in ancient uh, astrotheology as well to represent the sun god again. Okay? But um, uh, the fasces itself is a multi-tiered symbol. It's combining multiple smaller symbols into a larger one. So there, it's a, there's a pretty clear understanding of its representation symbolically. In image number two here in this section, we see the fasces used on the Italian flag during uh, Mussolini's reign. Okay? Clearly an example of fascism as Mussolini ran a fascist government. Uh, on image number three, here's more fascism. Oh, we call the Nazis fascist. Well, they're national socialists, right? It was a national socialist German workers' party, the Nazi party. Well, here's the symbol of fascism right on their postage stamp from 1938, I believe. Okay? So, with Hitler on it. The fascists there depicted on the left. Now, where else will we see the fascists? Well, in some pretty surprising places connected with government and monetary institutions. We look at the House chamber in image number four. And this is where the House meets, the House of Representatives. And you have two fascists on both sides of the main seat where the Speaker of the House sits in image number four there. All right? Two fascists. I thought this was supposed to be a republic. Well, if, there, if it's supposed to be a republic, we clearly have fascist symbolism in the main house of the republic of the United States. There's some mixed symbols there, I would say. Mixed, uh, mixed messages. Maybe so if you think this is actually a republic. But if you know what this government really is, that symbolism is totally appropriate. I would say if you know what any government is, you understand that that symbol is very appropriate. All right, so moving on, we see a close-up for those who may not you know, see that clearly enough there in the smaller image. There's a larger image, it's in black and white, that clearly shows the image of the fascists uh, in between two pillars there next to the American flag and five-pointed stars overhead, two ionic pillars, and there's a symbol of the mace there, which is uh, also a solar cult symbol. Image number six, the United States Senate seal, okay, with the U.S. flag shield design, a liberty cap, uh, the olive branch, and 
What's that we have there below? Two fasces crossed over each other in an X configuration. Okay? The United States Senate, supposedly a body of a democratic republic, yet there's two symbols of centralized Roman authoritarianism, also known as fascism, on the Senate arms there. You do the math. The next image, image number seven, this is an image of uh, the inside of the Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln seated on the throne. Okay, and that's what this is supposed to represent, a throne chair. He's supposed to be a king because indeed, you know, this is a empire that we're living in. If we're honest with ourselves, we live in an empire with an emperor. The emperor is a plutocracy ruled by the extremely, extremely rich. But ultimately, the real plutocracy that's really ruling the show behind the scenes, the real oligarchy, I should say, that's really ruling the show behind the scenes, is a class of occultists that understand how all of this symbolism works. They combine it. They gather in different occult orders. And they're doing a number mentally, emotionally, psychologically on the human race. And they pretty much have us right where they want us until we wake up to this. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I'll say it repeatedly over and over again until it sticks. Until the occult is no longer the occult, the world will be enslaved. Meaning, until people understand what these occultists understand and how they're employing this information and what their methodologies are, and they integrate that knowledge into who they are, confront it, and then rise above that and understand that knowledge cannot be occulted, that it's owned by the people of the world, it's owned by all of us, we share it, and we don't occult it, and we come up to the level of consciousness where that can be done, you will be essentially a slave, whether you're free in mind or not. Bodily, you're going to be essentially have violence conducted against you anytime you go up against these people who actually believe that they are authorities. And it's done through mind control through the occult. We'll be right back after these messages, folks. We've got a half an hour left. Be right back. You are Are you still paying your credit cards and so-called bank loans thinking that you owe the money? Do you feel like it's your moral obligation but can't see an end in sight? Well, what if I told you that in truth? You don't know a single penny and that the banks know this and hope you don't find out. Here's where we come in. Free2Prosper.com specializes in a profound debt repudiation method which challenges the validity of your so-called debts, morally frees you from the burdens, and protects your property. Our system is often superior to settlement, bankruptcy, or consolidation, which often leave you in a worse situation. 
If you feel the moral obligation to take care of yourself and your family, then I urge you to consider taking action right now. The economy will not wait. If you want to know more so you can prosper through the economic collapse, all while staying honorable and true to yourself, then call 877-417-8393. That's 877-417-8393. Or visit freetoprosper.com right now. Hey, it's me, Shepard, the host of the Intel Hub. Check out my live show every Sunday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can check it out from my website, theintelhubradio.com. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and A.C. Griffith, Thursdays and Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern for Freedom Link Radio on the Intel Hub News Network. A very wealthy U.S. citizen is predicting that in 2011, we will witness the most important day in America in more than 50 years. He says it will change everything about our lives, the way you shop, travel, invest, educate your children, and even how you take care of your health and family. Now this man has made some outrageous predictions over the years, but the crazy part is he's usually right. You see, he predicted the collapse of GM, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and America's biggest mall owner, General Growth Properties, a few years ago. In fact, Baronis called his work a dire prophecy. Now, this has nothing to do with the stock market, but it could have a huge impact on almost every aspect of your life. And recently, he created a video, which you can watch online for free, detailing his biggest and most important prediction yet. And it's a real eye-opener. I can't stress this enough. You should at least watch this free video online today. He explains everything you need to know, including simple steps you can take to protect yourself. You can find the video at www.com endofamerica8.com. Although this video may be offensive to some audiences, it's worth checking out. Again, that's www.endofamerica8.com. Watch this free video at www.endofamerica8.com. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the new world order piece by piece. That's right, you're listening to the Intel Hub News Network where we're crushing the dark new world order piece by piece. And we're going to build the light one. I'm your host, Mark Passio. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We were getting into the symbolism of the fascists as connected with uh, government institutions. And one of the main symbols that we see in Washington, D.C. is the Lincoln Memorial. It faces the uh, phallic symbol uh, of masculine energy known as the Washington Monument, which is the uh, symbol of the phallus of Osiris in the Egyptian uh, cosmology. If we look at, I want to spend a little bit of time on the Lincoln image itself, which is image number seven 
on the website uh, for images for tonight on the Radio Listen page under the fascist symbolism, we see that Lincoln is actually seated on this throne because he represents the emperor, uh, the symbolic emperor of the ruling class, the, uh, the ruling elite. They reign over the ignorant masses that think they're free. And he, he is holding two fasces. Right there, it's supposed to be a symbol of emancipation and freedom, yet on either side, okay, the emperor holds two fasces. On the left-hand side, he has a closed fist. Okay? On the left-hand side, he has a closed fist representing government authoritarianism, representing violence. Okay? On his left, I want to emphasize, his left. So if you're seated in that chair, your left hand, so you have to envision, okay? His left hand is made into a fist. And it's on top of the fasces. We see that on the right-hand side of the image when we're looking at it. But that's his left hand. So that represents left brain control, typified by government, violence. On the right-hand side, he has his hand open, grasping the fasces, but open nonetheless with an open palm. Okay, And his right foot is forward. This represents handing somebody control in the name of righteousness or in the name of doing the right thing or putting the right foot forward. This is all symbolic. It's all very, very specifically chosen symbolic language, okay? Because this form of control is religion the right-brained form of control. And symbolically, what they're telling you is that we control both of these institutions. We control government and we control religion. We control it all as the occultists who own this place, who own this place and own you because you don't understand your rights. You don't understand natural law. You don't understand our language, that we're telling you this right in the open, in the place that you think is the seat of your government, in the place that you think typifies human freedom and emancipation. We're telling you this right in your face, and you're not intelligent enough to figure it out. And I'll say again, there's very little other interpretation for this, okay? This is clearly subversive symbolism in this instance. The fascist means essentially one thing, centralization of power. And they're telling you how they're doing it, openly, in, in a form of mockery. That's what this is. This is a form of occult mockery because this country was owned lock, stock, and barrel in Lincoln's day and even before. And it's one of the reasons they murdered him in the murdering of a king because he's their symbolic king or emperor, just like they murdered Kennedy in a ritual killing of a king. It's an Osiris ritual. And he's looking at the phallus of Osiris. The problem is 
you have to understand so many different forms of symbolism to decode this. Most people think it's crazy when you even talk about it or try to help people understand it. But to the initiated, this is telling an exact story. In specific encoded language that 99% of people are too dumb to comprehend, quite frankly. I mean, you know, just to say it unapologetically, because it's the truth. And I think people have a long, long, long road ahead of them until they really start grasping this, and they're going to suffer an unheralded amount, an untold amount. Quite frankly, you know, I don't know if the earth is really going to uh, put up with this, you know, this level of denial and, you know, what we're doing to her. Read some of the things that we're we're doing to to the body of this planet, and it's just unfathomable. But, uh, you know, we keep letting these occultists do this to us because we don't want to learn and we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We can't admit we were duped, that we were played. Hardest thing for anybody to do that's in a deep ego state is admit they got played. You didn't see it coming. The problem is most people have been played since they were in the cradle. You know? Uh, you know, it's a, the game is rigged because they're programming people with all of this stuff from the moment they're born. And the brain soaks up everything like a sponge in the first seven years. You know, we're on automatic download mode mentally and in the way we uh you know build our worldview when we come into this world and they count on that that's why this symbolism is everywhere starts to work as soon as you're born the next uh image image number eight i'll try to wrap up the fascism section and then maybe we'll stop there and move on to uh uh other symbolism next week but we have the administrative the Administrative Office of the United States Courts, their seal. We see a feather pen, a scroll, and what's this? Behind it, a gigantic, wonderful rendering of a fascist there in our court building. Symbol of fascism in the United States Courts. Hmm. Interesting. But we, this represents total justice, the court system, doesn't it? Fair, balanced, justice, you know, truth coming to light. Isn't that what our court system represents? They're telling you out in the open. Out in the open. There's a building I didn't post it here. Maybe I'll get a chance to put it up on the website in Philadelphia that was an old court building that has clearly uh, fascist symbolism on it. There's a, a man... You know, this big Greek god-looking figure, and he's seated on a throne, and he's holding a fasces with the axe coming off of it. And, you know, this is right there on the, on the side of a court building. It's on Ninth and, Ninth and Chestnut Streets in Philadelphia. And um, there's very encoded symbolism just behind his throne where he's sitting. You see two small lightning bolts, but clearly... They're, they're spelling SS. It's the two Sig ruins that the Germans used uh, during the uh, Third Reich. 
the, the, the Nazis, I should say, used during the Third Reich, um, representing the Schutzstaffel, the SS secret police. And it's right there on a court building in the United States, out in the open, in the middle of a major city, in the middle of the city where the Declaration of Independence was written and signed. Right out in the open, hidden in plain sight. Image number nine is the uh, logo or the uh, seal um, of the Knights of Columbus. This is a Christian uh, affiliate organization um, connected with it's an affiliate of Freemasonry, and it is an affiliate of uh, the, the Catholic Church. Uh, the Templar um, cross here is represented, the uh, equal armed cross again. And in the middle of the logo there, I mean, we see a sword, we see a, an anchor, and of course, overlapping them both, we see the symbol of the fascists. Um, in image number 10, we see a fascies on an old United States dime. So right on our money, printed by the Federal Reserve System, of course, another fascist entity, a fascist institution that is, uh, has been an oligarchical um, rulership of the United States since its inception, basically. Uh, the Fed basically dictates to our government, not the other way around. Um, right there on the money that they print on the U.S. dime, the fascies, and it says e pluribus unum from the one, from the many one. In other words, centralization of power of the state from the many nations. We're going to form one, a one world government essentially. So, the fascies is omnipresent in symbolism of the United States. And we saw it used in in uh, Nazi Germany as well there in that section. So uh, I think I'll continue. We still have a little bit of time. Let's get into the symbolism of the pentagram. And this is an interesting one. And this is one that many people will go into and break down. But I hope to give a little bit more comprehensive of an idea of what the five-pointed star symbolism represents from different angles. So the first thing I want to do is approach it from a truly occult philosophical perspective and help people to understand what the five-pointed star in general as a symbol of occultism is used to represent. And we'll look at a deeper example of that a little bit later on after I give a couple of basic examples of where it is used. So looking at image number one in the uh, pentagram section, we can see uh, the, the upright five-pointed star, and we see it uh, here depicted in different colors. Okay, Each, each triangle section uh, shown as a different color, and on the points of it, we're uh, showing different alchemical sim symbol associations. So if we start at the bottom left there in green, and we see an inverted equilateral triangle with a line about two-thirds uh, down uh, from the, the top, uh, cutting it uh, you know, into uh, one-third and two-third sections uh, in green there. That is the alchemical symbol of Earth. Okay, So we see the four colored elements symbolically depicted, Earth being green. Okay, Now if we 
then were to go to the left to the yellow point, we see an upward pointing triangle also sectioned in a similar fashion. And this is the alchemical symbol of air. Okay, so earth again is our resources, uh, the innate talents we may come in with that are somewhat developed, um, the circumstances we, we are surrounded by, um, resources and talents. Okay, that's essentially what you have to remember when it comes to earth, uh, what, it, what it represents as far as what is with, within us and around us. Now, the air symbolism, the yellow here, uh, and the alchemical symbol of air represents our intellect. So this is actual uh, intelligence, okay? And again, it's largely that left brain form of intelligence that, um, you know, the capacity that we have to actually learn things and retain things and, you know, understand things. So that is air. Then to the right side of that, we see in blue, the alchemical symbol for water, which is simply the inverted triangle or the chalice. Um, this represents our emotional capacity, okay? So what we feel and how we act upon those feelings then is our actions, which is symbolized in red there at the bottom right by the alchemical symbol for fire, an upward pointing triangle, and this represents will, the plane of will, and actions, what we do in the world. Now, all of these four qualities or elements within the individual ultimately should be governed by higher level consciousness, an understanding of natural law, morality, rights, etc. And this is the spirit, the governing spirit, okay, in which we do all of these things, in which we think, feel, act, and operate in the world through our circumstances and resources and affiliations, etc. Okay? Therefore, that symbol up at the top there, in white, above the white arm of the pentagram, the five-pointed star, represents spirit or ether. Okay? This is the fifth element, and ultimately it is, you know, the higher will or love energy. Okay? Higher consciousness. It is spirit itself, potentiality, and it is the source of creation. It's in a starburst pattern. Again, there are the eight-pointed star, okay, uh, representing the two crosses, the cross of St. George and St. Andrew. We've gone over this in the astrotheology section and in the symbolism section where we talked about the cross. But there it is. So that's like a, a solar symbol a starburst pattern or a rays coming out of a central source. So that's what this represents, source, spirit itself, okay? And it is put in the highest position because this is what the true governing factor is, not the authority of man, the physical world, okay, but the authority of spirit that exists within and all around us. Okay? It's not in the flesh. It's a higher quality. And we need to be supplicant to that. That is the authority of this realm. Not anyone in the flesh. Excuse me, Mark. Hey. How are you? Bob? 
Yes, Mark. How are you doing? How are you doing tonight? Good. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, you've, you've been going over a lot of the symbols, and some of the people wanted to be caught up and maybe just tuning in as to where the images are that you're going over. And if you go to com and you click on his uh, radio link to the radio show on that page, uh, you'll find all the links there, right? Yes, on the radio listen page, right underneath um, the player, you will see something that says images for tonight's show for February 15th, 2011. And uh, there you'll see five sections of symbols. We are going through the third one, which is the symbolism of the pentagram. And I'm going to wrap up on this tonight talking about the pentagram. Uh, we'll, we'll get into more pentagram symbolism next week. But you'll see, you'll be able to click on all of these images, and they will also be included with the podcast for this show. Do you have time for a quick question? Sure, shoot. I'm, I'm wondering, I, I was trying to jog my memory the other day, and if I know somebody knows uh, what this is, it would be you. Uh, what is it exactly that the hats uh, for graduation, you know, those flash hats? Yes. Um, was it you I heard from that uh, told me it, it symbolizes something? Yes. Uh, when, when the gradually... Um, indoctrinated are given their reward for passing through the left brain indoctrination system. They will be dressed in a black robe and on the top of the head is a black square. This is Saturnian symbolism. Okay, Saturn is the disciplinarian and the uh, the, uh, the adversary in a way that uh, represents base consciousness or being kept in the dark, hence the black color, okay? So th this is associated with the base chakra or the root chakra, the muladhara chakra, and the black color and square represents uh, Saturn as the inhibitor. So what, what is this is a form of occult mockery. This is saying uh, you think you're enlightened, but in fact you're on the black square, okay? Now the black square in the Freemasonic uh, symbology represents darkness or the lack of light. The checkerboard floor is what the earth rep it represents the earth. It represents that we are wanderers in a desert of ideologies. And if we stay in that form of base consciousness, we are um, the ch the, we, we live a checkered life, never really knowing truth from falsehood, never really knowing light from darkness, never really knowing uh, right from wrong, because ultimately, in its true essence, in its original essence, Freemasonry is about teaching those principles, and it is encoding those principles into symbolic and allegorical forms. Um, so the, 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 the symbolism of the black square being used in graduation or gradual indoctrination is indeed a form of mockery through symbolism, and it's saying they're placing it on the top of the head, on the crown chakra. They're taking a symbol of the base chakra and they're putting it on the crown chakra. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's pure mockery in, in the open of people who think that they have achieved the height of knowledge. But because they have achieved only a left brain form of it in the university systems that we have set up, that, and, and the, the occultists who ultimately run this 
form of indoctrination know exactly what it is, they're, they're getting a little bit of uh, satisfaction through a subtle form of mockery by taking, again, a symbol of base awareness and a symbol of being a wanderer in lower consciousness and symbolically placing it on top of the uh, crown chakra. That's what it is. Bob, are you still there? I am here, and uh, I knew you would have the perfect answer. Uh, and I was thinking about that the other day because, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, graduation here in, at the university. As you know, I, I live near the University of Florida, and I'm a student uh, finishing the indoctrination um, in which I use it to study philosophy and spend my time producing and listening to shows like yours. Um, and I, I hope that wasn't a complete distraction, but I was I was curious because it came up and, and I knew that uh, you would have the answer for me. So thanks so much. No, Bob, that's fantastic. Thanks for, uh, you know, bringing that up. Uh, I think I see a call on the uh, blog talk switchboard. Let's see if, is this some, is this, it's not you, is it, Bob, or the, the person who's calling? Yeah, it's me. Oh, that is you, okay. So I was going to take that call, but... Uh, that's great. Since we didn't have any well, other callers tonight, I appreciate it. Thank you very yes. much. You got it, Bob. Thanks so much for bringing that up. Great question. So um, we have a little bit of time. We have about four minutes left, so I'll continue a little bit with the pentagram symbolism. Um, again, this uh, the, the five-pointed star, again, is about the four elements combined with the fifth element, which is spirit, okay? And in its upright configuration, spirit is in its proper aspect. It is in its proper orientation. It means that that has to be the foremost thing, okay? And from there, everything else proceeds, okay? We're not giving prominence to the physical realm. We're understanding its importance and, and its associations, but we're not saying that that is the authority or the source of everything. We're saying that that all derives from something higher. Okay? So in its upright form, that's what we have to keep in mind about what a pentagram, and in, in the case where it's upright, meant most times it is called a pentacle to differentiate. Okay? But it is still a pentagram, a five-pointed star. Okay? Now, we see this being used in different forms of symbolism. And next week we'll look at what the reverse of this is all about, or an inverted pentagram, which is a subversive symbol. Uh, we saw in religion, if you look at image number two, this is a, uh, an Islamic uh, symbol, uh, the sovereign and divine. Okay, And again, sovereignty is often represented by a five-pointed star. That's why we have 50 stars on the flag of the United States. It's supposed They're supposed to be sovereign states. Ultimately, they're supposed to represent the sovereignty of the people instead of the you know fall that we've had as far as the understanding of freedom and natural law is concerned. Um, but here it's used in Islam, and we see it used in conjunction here with a lunar cult symbol. In image number three, uh, we see star ATM again. We talked about that as astrotheological symbolism, and there, again, star connected with money. We looked at the Starbucks logo. This is a, a repeat, but you know we looked at that earlier in the show, and there we can see 
the upright star is used again, and I talked about that related with sovereignty, and ultimately it's because we only really understand our sovereignty when we put that uh, when we put the spirit in its proper upright orientation above the elements of the physical domain. So I'll leave it there for now because that's all we really have time for. And next week we'll continue looking at pentagram symbolism and then we will branch off into looking at symbolism of the all-seeing eye and the associated imagery of the pine cone connected with the all-seeing eye. So for now, we'll leave it there. I want to thank everyone for listening. You've been listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm Mark Passio. We'll see you here next week, folks. Thank you and good night. We no longer say yes